0: it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me
1: right now. You like
0: me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't. Please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you.
1: And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I definitely didn't go up to that mountain to fish, Joey Gentili.
0: And I've known one or two savage queens in my time, Brandon Stanlock. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT
1: guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category, and this is the class of 2005. Brandon, we have made it, we're halfway through, let's own the rest of this shit.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good year, I would say. Or at least a, a, a year that will be fun to talk about.
1: Yeah, for sure. I know it definitely has some controversy in this year i mean it is literally so controversial to this day um due to its best picture win we're actually recording this on march 6th and yesterday would have been the 14th anniversary of this academy awards oh wow crazy thing crazy crazy thing um but yeah all in all it's a pretty exciting year for at least the actresses
0: yeah Uh, we have some pretty good uh noteworthy names to talk about today um, some controversial folk uh as of recent months ago. So it'll be fun to talk about them in this context. For sure, for sure.
1: Um, But yeah, this is our second episode this season where it's just us, so it's nice to have you back again.
0: Yes, it's been a... Last week was a nice change of pace because uh, we recorded all the guests first before mm-hmm. we did um the just you and I episodes. And recording that was a... It was kind of a nice change of pace we love our guests but it was nice getting it getting back to the uh the old way of doing things
1: for sure for sure um so I'm, I'm speaking of controversial uh, I'm gonna start us off with I don't think it's so controversial but we'll see um so I was I do a little revisit every year after the academy Awards of all the best pictures of the ones that I can actually sit through again like for an example, there's no way in hell I'm sitting through Little Women again. That was just fucking awful. I don't know if you saw it. But um I revisited uh Ford versus Ferrari last night. I gotta say, I think after seeing it a second time, it would have been my runner-up as Best Picture to Parasite. Parasite will still be my number one. But I really enjoyed it a lot more the second time around.
0: I wonder if I'll get more out of it the second time, because right now it's dead last for me.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. I I did not really enjoy that movie whatsoever. I'm not sure. Uh, it's just not my cup of tea, I guess. I don't think it's poorly made by any means. I just, uh, I didn't really care for any characteristics of it. I don't know. It wasn't for me. No, that's totally fine. Um, yeah, it was funny because
1: for the longest time my top three would have gone uh, Parasite 1917 Joker but now I think it honestly goes Parasite Ford vs. Ferrari 1917 Hmm. So that's just me, though. Um, a fun fact about this—excuse me, was burped. Um, this year's best, or I'm sorry, this year's Oscar ceremony. George Clooney racked up four winning possibilities in a single year for acting, writing, directing, and producing. So, you know, George won for supporting actor, and that was a choice. But you know, there were many of uh, opportunities this year for him. Yes. So go, go, George. Go, George. Our, go, George. Two claps for George. All right. So our supporting actress nominees of 2005 were. Amy Adams in Jumbo. Catherine Keener in Capote. Francis McDormand in North Country. Rachel Weisz in The Constant Gardener. Michelle Williams in Brokeback Mountain. Alright, starting off with Katherine Keener as Nell Harper in Capote. This is her second of two nominations. Um, all nominations except for one win going into Oscar night. Uh, nominations from Critics Choice, BAFTA, National Society of Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and The Sad. But she wins the LA Film Critics Award for Best Supporting. In Capote, again, Catherine plays Nell Harper, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird, who was really good friends with Jim Capote, as he does deep, um, uh, research into, uh, his book. What is it? Cold Blood? In Cold Blood. Yeah, and she's kind of like, the best friend slash words of wisdom in his ear throughout the film. And uh, this performance gets shit on a lot. So let's see what you've got to say about it.
0: Yeah, this is definitely the nomination of Catherine Keener's that I think people tend to forget about. I think when people think of Catherine Keener and Oscar nomination, being John Malkovich is usually the first one that pops into mind. I don't think Catherine Keener is bad by any means in Capote. It's a very low key performance is not the big, upstage type of supporting turn that we often get in supporting. Uh, she's a very warm presence. She's a guiding light, you could say, for uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's Truman Capote. It's a very easy character to like and revere in a way. I mean, knowing that this is the person who, I believe it when the movie is taking place, she's in the process of writing To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't think it's been published yet, if I recall correctly. but. I mean, given that historical context, I mean, every American read or was supposed to read To Kill a Mockingbird in middle school. I mean, this is a person that everyone is basically familiar with past a certain age. So she's playing someone very identifiable, um, something that everyone knows at least a little bit about, at least some trivia bit about, given, you know, her work. But it's not a performance that you really remember when the movie's over. I mean... Philip Seymour Hoffman is Truman Capote, you know, he's the title role, it's who the movie's about, and he's getting such a transformative performance that if you think of Capote and Catherine Keener as the first thing that pops into your head, I'm really questioning you. And maybe you just stand <laughs> Catherine Keener really, really fondly. But I don't think there's anything bad to say about it. Sometimes I guess you could say she blends into the background a little bit. But I think that's also due to the nature of how she functions in this world. I mean, we see in the group scenes at parties and dinners with all of these socialites and artists, a lot of people don't really seem to take her seriously. Uh, perhaps it's because she's a woman um, and a Southern woman at that in a very New York world. Um, and, you know, the the cool, uh, sad irony of it all is She's about to become the most famous person in any room that she's in, uh, given, you know, the book she's about to publish in due time. So I don't hate this Katherine Keener performance, but it's understandable to me why some people would forget it or label it a coattails uh, nomination considering who she's performing opposite. But I don't really have any negative notes about it. I think the way she sometimes becomes forgetful or blends in or whatever you want to call it is a little bit conceptual because of you know the world she's occupying um maybe i'm just reading too deeply into it like i do but uh it kind of worked for me on this most recent rewatch
1: yeah you know it's funny when you said that like you know if you think of capote it's not like you think of you know uh Catherine Keener, it's like thinking of Funny Girl and thinking of Kay Medford, but oh wait, that's literally what I said in 1968. And I'll stand by that one. Like I think more of Kay Medford and Funny Girl than do Barbara. But I would agree, I don't think of Catherine Keener when I think of uh, Capote. And it's funny because we did kind of throw a little shade at her in 1999. And I kind of want to like go back to that recording and hit myself over the head because I was remembering this performance in not the best of ways until so I revisited this. And no, this is not a showy performance. It is a very I wouldn't even call it like a background performance, but it is it is definitely supporting. But it is a good one. And it's subtle and she does really fine work here. Um it it's funny that she mentioned that she's about to be the most famous person in the room because it is so true. Um I think what Keener does is pretty well damn good. Um, and it doesn't need to be over the top. I've got no complaints about this one. I think this is an earned nomination. Um, and, but this is definitely one of those nominations where looking at, looking at it, um, not from a ranking standpoint, but from the actual night of the ceremony where the win for Keener was just the nomination.
0: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the 99 episode because, uh, when I was watching this movie again, I kept thinking, how unfair uh, I had been uh, to Catherine Keener. Because she does do some really intricate stuff here. She's just in a movie that um, someone else is the focus. So, yeah. And she rightfully and understandably never tries to steal the spotlight. It would have been honestly kind of weird if she had. So yeah, I, I respect this Catherine Keener performance now more than I have in the past.
1: Agreed. Agreed, agreed. All right, moving on. We have this year's winner, Rachel Weisz, as Tessa Quayle in The Constant Gardener. This is her first of two nominations. Um, this is an interesting amount of precursors. here. You'll see why in a second. She wins SAG for Golden Globe, and she's nominated in Critics' of Choice off of supporting. But BAFTA puts her in lead. And she's nominated in lead, which is very interesting because she's only in the first half hour of the movie. Um, I feel like that her lead here is like putting Meryl Streep and the Deer Hunter in lead, but you know, BAFTA's gonna BAFTA. Um, and in the concept gardener, again, Rachel plays Tessa, who is an activist who falls pregnant and marries, um, Ray and then ends up from her activism being killed. And it's a very political, it's, it's a political thriller that is kind of
0: all about taking down the man? And what do you think about Rachel Weisz's performance here? So this is a movie that I hadn't seen pretty much since it came out. Like, I think the last time I watched The Constant Gardener, my family had, like, rented it or something. And I remember not really caring for it then. I was also much younger then, and I don't think I really grasped everything that was going on in it. I'm also from a pretty conservative family, and her character is a little bit of a, you know social justice warrior as some people on that side of the political spectrum would call it. So I could imagine how myself and my family might've just like brushed off the entire thing after it was over. But upon revisiting this movie for the first time in like 15 years, I really like her in this movie. Um, she's pretty damn heroic. And this is a, another character. It's very easy to be on her side. Um, I think she's in more than the first half hour. I think she's in like the first half of the movie. But um, after about that first half hour, she's, like, trickled throughout. But after about halfway through, she's pretty much gone, except for, like, some video footage or whatever that's uncovered. So I guess if you're only looking at the first half of the movie, I can see how category placement would be on your mind. But if you break down, if you're looking at the entire film, I think it makes perfect sense that she's in supporting here. I think this is a very powerful performance that she's giving. Um, you can tell Rachel Weiss really is on her own character side. She really believes the things that her character is fighting for, and she really wants to showcase all the matters at hand in this movie. It's a very moving performance, and powerful but short-lived, considering the nature of this person and what happens to her and what happens for the rest of the movie after that, so... I really respect this performance more now than I have in the past. So I like when the Academy doesn't
1: really do Academy things and they nominate films that usually wouldn't seem like Oscar films. Now, granted, any movie that comes out in a year, theatrically is up, is eligible for an Academy Award. Yes, I get that. The Council Gardner does not feel like an Oscar film. With that said, I don't like this film. I don't like this film. I don't like this performance. I don't find anything she's doing here to be Oscar-worthy. The fact that she won for this is baffling to me because there is not a singular moment in this movie where yes, she's good. She, she She's fine for the movie, but really? Like, this is what we gave her an Oscar for? Mm, I don't buy it. Um Yeah, this doesn't work for me in any way Oscar-wise. Um, like I said, she's fine in the movie. She does like the the scene where we're introduced to her, not the scene where she's getting on to the helicopter or the airplane, whatever it is. Um, but like the classroom scene where she starts like going head to head with rave uh refines. That's good. But Oscar worthy? No. Sorry. I, I I gotta think that this was a completely campaign win because this is not Oscar worthy material.
0: Yeah, I think that's a uh a common feeling these days that uh, Rachel Vice's win feels very out of left field for yeah. the Academy. And I can definitely see that. I think I, I mostly agree with you that it doesn't feel like an Oscar movie. It feels like, you know, a political thriller that might do modestly well at the box office and might uh, get some critical acclaim, but trickle off after that. It doesn't feel like a movie that's going to take home a bunch of Academy Awards. So I can definitely see why a performance like this would be very unusual. But you know, me being me, I really like when the Academy does stuff like that. Uh, yeah. It's not my favorite Rachel Vice performance by any means. I'm also not really thrilled with the movie as a whole. I think it has its issues, but I I dig that the Academy did something unusual. So mm. in that respect, I'm I'm on board with it. But I guess you'll find out later whether or not she would get my vote. Yeah. I, I get it. Moving
1: on. Michelle Williams as Alma in Brokeback Mountain. This is her first of four nominations. Side note, Michelle Williams' uh, Oscar dress is one of the most famous ever on the red carpet. I know you're not a huge fashion person, I'm not either, but that yellow dress is gorgeous. All right, going into Oscar night, she had a Golden Globe nomination, BAFTA nomination, Spirit nom, and a SAG nom for supporting. She wins Critics' Choice, and she ties with Amy Adams, which we'll get to in a bit. But in Brokeback Mountain, again, Michelle plays Alma who is the wife character to the Heath Ledger role, who ends up finding out that her son, the son likes some dudes, or not her son, her husband likes some dudes, and um, is kind of the conservative audience. I mean, even at the time it came out, the audience reaction to this story of two men falling in love. Um, and I know Brokeback Mountain plays a huge part in our community. And at, in pop culture, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about it now. So, Brandon, start us off.
0: Well, I just quickly googled her Oscar dress, which I had no memory of. I wasn't able to picture it whatsoever. She's gorgeous in this dress. I really like it. I'm uh-huh. not really a fashion person, like you said, but I think this is a it's complimenting her quite well. And that so, red
1: lip is gorgeous on her.
0: Yeah, so I'll give her that. I'll start off with that. I really like this movie, and I think she's wonderful in it. She has very brief screen time. I mean, if you break it down, I think she might have, I don't know, maybe less than 15 minutes of screen time in this film, but I think she is so effective in her scenes, um especially, you know, after she makes the realization that her husband's not going up to Brokeback Mountain to fish, and you really feel for her, I think. I think she's, she comes to terms with it as best she can, but without upsetting the family dynamic too much, at least in the beginning. She just kind of stomachs it. And I think that's really sad. I think it's a character you really, you really feel for. And it's hard to blame Enos too much for it, considering, you know, he's, experiencing things he never otherwise experienced uh, being true to himself in ways that he never otherwise could, while also at the same time you have to recognize that she is his wife and he's putting her through a lot of pain. So it's a very niche bag when it comes to um, consequences there. I really like her scene. I think it's after she's already remarried and they're in the kitchen where she reveals her little trick. For figuring out how fishing was never what was really happening. She is so damn good in that scene where she's discussing the tackle box and the little notes she used to leave and how she would fit, how she figured it all out and how it made her feel. Um, it's, it's a very brief performance when you really add up the minutes, but it's hard to say that she does not leave an impression of some sort when the movie's over. So. I really dig Michelle Williams here in *Brokeback Mountain*.
1: Yeah, I I really like her as well. Um, in this, I think this is a fantastic debut at the Academy. This role, this film is very important. I mean, I was third, going on thirteen when this movie came out, and I came out a week before my fourteenth birthday. So this was like, no, wait, was I already out? No, I was thirteen when this case. yeah, I was already out at this point. Um, when this movie came out. So two thousand five was like a big year for me and in, in realizing who I was as a person. And like the we have to uh, for people who may not remember, the time frame that this movie came out was the mid two thousands. We were in the middle of a Bush administration. It was very much like Yes, the gay rights movement had started at Stonewall and everything. But, you know, this was a time where queerest folk was on TV. And that was really controversial. And I remember being like a young closeted kid having to sneak watch queerest folk. So when, when, when this big monumental movie of Brokeback Mountain came out, like it really meant something to a lot of us. And most of us, I would feel. Um, and Michelle Williams was a big part of that for me. Um, because I almost felt like, who I was discovering myself as a little gay kid, you know, we all, I went through an emotional gauntlet of, is this me? Am I wrong? Yada, yada, yada. And I feel like Michelle Williams played the spirit of a lot of people, whether they're discovering themselves or they're so against it, or they're trying to figure out what it is. And I think she does it beautifully. Um, I, you know, I really hate though, that she so just leaves this picture abruptly after that scene in the kitchen. Like, she's just gone after in the, this movie. And I think it is a real disservice, especially, um, when Jack Twist dies. And I know we have that scene with Anne Hathaway there, but like, I feel like there could have been something for her and Enos, or I don't know. It just, it feels like her character's gone too soon. Um, but she is beautiful in this. She's an emotional gauntlet. She is everything that I need her to be. And, you know, maybe this is a clue to my rankings. Maybe it's not. But little 13-year-old me rooted for her on Oscar night. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and a, a big thing that causes this year to be controversial is this losing, brought back losing to Crash for Best Picture. Now, I will go on record. I, I've said it before on our Twitter. I'm okay with Crash winning Best Picture. I actually like Crash as a movie. Is it great? No. But I think the 2005 lineup, none of these movies are really good and what i mean by that is like book back i own it on blu-ray i'll watch it but i find it to be boring as a film as a whole so that's why i think i'm okay with crash winning because it's like the best of the worst um but yeah i think michelle williams is is really really good here
0: something i also really admire about michelle williams in this is she is like truly supporting like, there is like no question. This is like a quintessential supporting turn. And that's something, especially in our modern times, that I really admire. And you know what too? All of Brokeback's women are really good here.
1: Anna Ferris, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway. I honestly could have seen Anne Hathaway in this lineup.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have minded it. Yeah.
1: Um, but all of the Brokeback women are really good here. Even, yeah. um, um, Kate Mara, and what's her name? Um, who played Daphne in Scooby Doo? She's in this.
0: Oh yeah, Um, Linda Cardellini.
1: Yeah, Linda Cardellini. They're all great. Good, good for Brokeback's women. It, it, I mean, I mean, I'll say it too. A, a lot for for gay and bi men too. Their their backbone are the women in their life, and I think Brokeback is a prime example of how women really are there for us. So
0: yeah, Brokeback Mountain is a remarkable film. I know it's not. It's not going to be everyone's tempo, even people within the queer community, such as yourself. I know it's not everyone's thing when it comes to, you know, the way it's made and the pace and all that, but I think if I were to select Best Picture that year, I would probably go with Brokeback over mm-hmm. Crash. Crash would probably actually probably be my fifth in that lineup, to be perfectly honest. Um I suppose if I had to pick a second, and there's a pretty big gap between first and second for me in this Best Picture lineup, I'd probably go with Goodnight and Good Luck, but yeah, I think... Brokeback is a pretty remarkable film, but I understand it's not going to be everyone's thing. Yeah. Yeah, understandable.
1: All right, all right. Well, we're moving on to Amy Adams, our first Amy Adams outing. We got a lot to go through when it comes to her. Um, Amy Adams is Ashley in Junebug. This is her first of six nominations. She goes into Oscar night with a win from Critics Choice. Again, remember she tied with Michelle Williams. And National Society of Film Critics gives her a win. But she's nominated at SAG in the LA Film Critics Association. In Junebug, again, Amy plays Ashley, who is an over-the-top, excited, but sometimes obnoxious woman who is pregnant, who really stands out in her family and is almost an outcast in a way. Um, she's in a horrible relationship with Benjamin McKenzie. Um, she's great. He's awful. And, unfortunately, becomes the victim of a really tragic loss of her child in the end. Um, spoiler alert, but you've had enough time to watch this. Um, so, Brandon, Amy Adams, what do you think for her first outing at the Oscars?
0: I really like her in this movie. At least, I don't know if it's going to be true when this drops, but at the time of this recording, Junebug is on Netflix.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if
0: it's a movie you have not gotten around to yet, it's pretty accessible, uh, assuming it's still there at the time this episode is released. I think she's a whole bunch of fun in this movie. She's a beacon of light here. It's hard to dislike this person. She's so warm and lovable, and you just want to be related to her in a weird way. She doesn't always fit in with this family, particularly with her husband, who's kind of a douchebag. Yes. But it's a character that's, it's hard to not feel something at the end of this movie because she is such, she's so bubbly in the first, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters of this movie. And then, you know, her unfortunate incident happens. And she is gut-wrenching in that the aftermath of that situation. Um, She's wonderful. It's so easy looking back on it now to watch that movie and know that she is going to have the career that she has. I mean, mm-hmm. of course back then, no one could have possibly known, but looking at it now as her first nomination, it's like, duh, this is Amy Adams. Of course, this is going to be her first nomination of men. So yeah, this is a really great first outing for her. Um, I really dig Amy Adams and June bug.
1: So we've already talked about Amy Adams on the 2008 episode. Cause we've already, um, Recorded that. But this is our first for our listeners. I <laughs> find it very interesting that Amy Adams' best nomination is her very first one. And I find it interesting because where do we go from here? And you guys will find out shortly. And that doesn't mean anything in my rankings, but because, you know, we've all heard before, like last week, I think Kate Winslow's best nomination, and I didn't even give her the win. This is her best that she has given us for the Academy. This is amazing. I think this is a beautiful first nomination. It's a breath of fresh. It is, here's this literal, I mean, she wasn't literally unknown, but she was unknown on a known standard, if that makes sense. Um, She, she, she comes right in. She steals everyone's hearts. She's the best thing about this awful movie. And there's some really awful points in this movie. Like, whether it's the characters or even the fucking art dealer. I was so just, ugh, not the art dealer, but the, the the painter guy, the way he describes his paintings, I like, was just terrible. And um, yeah, Amy is greatness. She is the most wonderful thing about this movie. I love this character of Ashley. I feel for this character of Ashley. Um, and if you haven't seen it on YouTube, if you type in Amy Adams audition Junebug, there's a 15 minute audition tape, just like Shorea Aghdashloo's audition tape is online, where you could see her audition for Junebug, and. She was Ashley from the moment she opened her mouth. And honestly, if I could give it an Oscar for Best Audition, Amy Adams would have had it. If you've got 15 minutes to kill, watch
0: her audition tape. Yeah, she's fabulous here. I don't know if it's my favorite of hers, but it's definitely out there. I really dig her in June, though. Yeah. And
1: we actually have a question, now that I can uh, we've done Amy and Michelle, because it involves both of them. From Jeffrey Kerr, 2005 marked the very first of many Oscar nominations for Amy Adams and Michelle Williams. Which of those two do you think will likely get to win first?
0: Um, Amy Adams seems to be the more prolific when it comes to nominations and being in the Oscars conversation as of recent years. But there is definitely a drive to give um, Williams one. Um, uh-huh. So I'm not sure. I feel like Amy Adams is the one that people want to give it to more, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. The thing, here's the thing. Michelle Williams' nominations are consistently good. Yeah. Amy Adams are not.
0: Hers are a little shakier. Yes. Or she's giving good performances in shitty movies. Yes. Honestly, like, and this because
1: we'll obviously be able to talk more about Michelle and Amy mm-hmm. next season. Um, This is the only time we're talking about Michelle, and we'll talk about Amy once more uh, for the listeners. But there is not a singular performance of Michelle's where I'm like, oh, she didn't deserve this. Now, there are a couple of Amy Adams performances where I'm like, "The well, fuck did she get nominated for? So, like, at least consistency-wise, I would say Michelle Williams will get it first. But just on the basis of nominations, I mean, I could see it going to Amy Adams. That's the okay. thing.
0: Yeah, she seems to be more... um Likely to get a nomination that will result in her getting a win.
1: Right, right. So yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, literally, it's anyone's game. Like I said, if you're nominated, even if you are the only nomination and from your movie, I mean, you have a one in five shot of getting of you know, winning. So like people are always like, oh, this person's a front winner Anyone can win this shit. So you know, whatever. So moving on to our last nominee this year, we have francis McDormand as Glory in North Country. This is our fourth of five nominations. Um, she wins nothing going to Oscar Night, but she's nominated at Critics Choice, SAG, BAFTA, and the Golden Globes. In North Country, again, Frances plays Glory, who is the best friend to the Charlize Theron character, or starts off as, and is the boss who gets her the job at the mining company, who is really, don't fuck with her, because she will kick your ass. And unfortunately, again, we, there seems to be a common theme here with the, the last couple of uh, nominees. She has a turn of traumatic events that she falls victim to. Um, Brandon, what do you think about Francis as Gloria in North Country?
0: You know, this is a uh, pretty cut and dry, Francis McDormand. If you had told me to visualize what Francis McDormand would do with this supporting performance, it's pretty much what I got on screen. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Francis McDormand brings a real tenacity to this film. Um, I'm not a big fan of this movie. It's It tackles a very serious subject matter a uh, very important thing to address. Um even in today's world. But it's a little it's a little too important with a capital I for me. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little that. bit too in your face. Like don't forget we're important as a movie and things like that tend to rub me the wrong way. Uh I check out at a certain point. But Frances McDormand, I think she does what she does best. She gives these very lively, uh, tenacious performances, and ultimately it makes the movie she's in better. I really like her, um, her moment in the end when she's in the hospital and she no longer has the use of her voice, and she's using the, the vocal box, whatever you call it, where they put the thing on your neck, and I think she, like, tells someone to go fuck themselves with it, and it's in that very, like, distorted, like, computer voice. It's, it brings a very nice, um, a nice, uh, comedic moment to this otherwise, very heavy film. So I don't hate it. I don't love it. Uh, it is what it is. Love Frances McDormand. Uh, always glad that she is getting recognized. Yeah.
1: Um, I think I agree with you on this is like important with the capital I. I do like this movie a little bit more, I think, than you. Um, just because I think it's such a, um, it's such a heavy tenacity. Am I using that word right? Uh, I, I have a a a heavy tenacity subject, like it the subject matter, it, it it it's hitting is so big, um, and I think it's a very important, especially in today's society, um, film to watch. I really like this role from her, though. This is really good, Frances McDormand. I do think it is cut and dry. I think this is like. If you were to imagine, Prince, like, Francis McDormand between this and, like, Fargo makes, like, the quintessential, and even f- three billboards of, uh, of Missouri, she plays a very good Midwestern woman pretty goddamn well. Like, I, I, I don't think of Francis McDormand anymore as, like, Hollywood. I think of her as Midwestern. And, yeah, I think she does really good here. Um, you know, we've both given her the wins before, me for Almost Famous and you for Fargo. Um, but I'm interested. What I'm most interested to see is where she lines up for both of us
0: in this lineup. Yes. Now I did not give her the win for Fargo. Oh, you didn't? No, I went to I went with Emily Watson for Breaking the Waves in 1996.
1: My apologies. My apologies. So, oh, that's right. Fargo was your thing with with Seth because that was your guys' first date. That's what it was.
0: Yeah, that's the backstory for that film.
1: So I've given her a win. I don't think you'd give her a win for this but again this is where i'm interested to see where she goes for you because i could see you giving her the win but also i don't think you will but so it'll be interesting to see if Frances McDormand has finally earned a win from you
0: yeah she hasn't yet so maybe so your nominees for best actress in a leading role in 2005 were judy dench and mrs henderson presents
1: Charlize Theron in North Country. Kieran Knightley in Pride and Prejudice. Felicity Huffman in Transamerica.
0: Lise Ritterstuhl in Walk the Line. Okay, let's start with our winner for the year, Reese Witherspoon, winning for Walk the Line. This is her first of two nominations, and her only win so far. Uh, going into this, she was pretty much a frontrunner, as she takes the Golden Globe for a Comedy Musical, the BAFTA, SAG, uh, National Society of Film Critics Awards, as well as a handful of smaller critics awards, and she is recognized with the Empire Awards and some other critics awards. In Walk the Line, Reese Witherspoon plays June Carter, the country music superstar who sees firsthand the ups and downs of Johnny Cash's career. So how do you feel about Reese Witherspoon in Walk the Line?
1: Uh, it's fine. You know, I, I speaking of campaign wins, I feel like this was a campaign win. Um, cause she was everywhere. I, I, uh, I could see this in modern day. Like if this had come out this year, this would be a supporting nomination. I, I think you could play her in either category and it would fit, which I don't think I've ever said so far. Um, it's fine. You know, I think she's doing what she needs to do, but it, it doesn't stand out to me.
0: Yeah, I pretty much um, agree with that sentiment. I think she is perfectly all right in this role. I don't have really all that much negative to say about the performance itself. Um, I can see why this type of performance would win, even beyond the campaign. Like we said with Hillary Swank last week in Million Dollar Baby, I can see this as being the movie that was the most digestible um, yeah. with the old men in the Academy. And therefore, I could see her getting a lot of their votes. Um, June Carter is also just a very likable person in this movie. And Reese Witherspoon brings a lot of charm to her performance of her. It's very easy to get behind her. It's uh, one of those roles where it's designed so that you are on her side. I can see where you're coming from, where if this had come out today, another studio or maybe the actress herself might want to campaign in supporting as a bit of a strategy I lean more toward lead with her, but I can see how some people might try to spin it that way. But um, I think Reese Witherspoon is correctly in the right category here. Yeah, she brings life to June Carter, and the movie itself I don't think is that great. Um, I don't think it's that remarkable of a biopic, but I think she does well enough with it to be memorable in the role. But it's not my favorite Reese Witherspoon performance by any means.
1: No, not at all. Yeah, that's all right.
0: Okay. Next, we have Judy Dench, nominated for Mrs. Henderson Presents. This is her fifth of seven nominations. She does not win anything major going into Oscar night, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, the London Film Critics, the Los Angeles Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics. In Mrs. Henderson Presents, Judy Dench plays Mrs. Henderson, a woman who buys a theater at the dawn of World War II, and it gains notoriety for its all-nude reviews. So how do you feel about Judy Dench in Mrs. Henderson Presents? I fucking love Judy Dench in this movie.
1: First of all, let's talk about how hard it is to find this movie in present day, for this movie not being that old. You can find it at libraries or rent it, but if you want to stream it, you can't. There's no streaming option for this movie. You either have to buy it straight up or go somewhere and find a hard copy of it. Little weird to me. Little weird. With that said, Dench is delightful. Dench is having a hell of a decade between Iris and this, and then we'll talk about Notes on a Scandal here next week. Um, he is having a hell of a decade with all these different types of roles, and I love me some com- comedic Judy dunch. The scene that stands out the most to me is when she's having tea and cheese with what's his face, and she uses the word pussy, and like she's describing how like the, she's got good lighting, and it will it'll pretty much like not show their no no parts, <laughs> and it, like the dude is so taken back, and she's like. Like, it's not the 19th century anymore. Like, shut up. The word pussy. And she's like, oh, you men love that area, don't you? Like, she's a firecracker. And I'm really surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised with how Reese Witherspoon's campaign worked, that she won the Golden Globe here. But this, I feel, would have been a Judy Dench Golden Globe snatch had Reese not been in that category.
0: Yeah, a Golden Globe win makes a lot of sense for this. And that's not shade. That's just, um, it's just a really fun... Comedic performance from yes. a grand, a grand dame. This was my first time watching Mrs. Henderson Presents, and I think it's a delightful little picture. It's not too serious, even though it deals with a very serious backdrop, not being, you know, the, the rise of Nazi Germany and, um, the horrible things that are about to happen to Europe in the years to come, uh, when this movie concludes. But Judy Dench, I think, is having a blast here. Um, it's not a role that I think demands too much of her as an actress it doesn't really demand that she stretch herself all that much and yet she is able to lend her judy dench isms her wit and her very organic gravitas to this very fun little movie judy dench and naked ladies go so much better together than i ever would have imagined mm-hmm. before watching this movie uh it's just a gay old time and I really dig it. Um, it also has its more um, heartfelt moments. The scene on the roof in the end as like literal bombs are falling and planes are flying overhead. I think that, that scene in the film was very necessary in order to remind the audience before the movie concludes that yeah, this was a, a whole lot of fun and games leading up to this but something very serious is about to happen. To this country and to these people and a lot of folks are going to die. And I think it was, it's like the opposite of comedic relief. It's like a reminder that by the way, this thing that has been looming in the background the entire time, here it is. And her scene with um, Bob Hoskins in the end on the roof where they're sort of breaking down everything that they've been doing over the last few months or a few years, I don't remember how long this movie takes place over at this theater and what it's meant to these performers and this community and the soldiers and how it all relates to the bigger picture of what's going on politically in the world. I think is a really a really beautiful moment in this otherwise really delightful little movie. Um not otherwise delightful meaning like a, a diss to comedy. But yeah. um you know what I mean. I, it's all around, I think it's a very fun movie that's worth checking out at least once. And Judy Dench is pretty good in it.
1: Yeah, agreed. And you know what, it's nice too, because... I'm trying to think right offhand. Yeah, everyone, even including Philomena next season, every one of Judy Dench's nominations are like these hard, heavy roles. So it's nice to see her get recognized for a comedy, because it shows that she has some range. You know, I mean, Judy Dench has range, but like when I mean some range... I mean like all of her nominees for the Oscar even the win are dramas, and then she she's snuck in a comedy there. So good 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 for Dame Dench.
0: Yeah, kinda like we were saying with Rachel Weiss, uh, Mrs. Henderson Presents doesn't feel like an Oscar movie. No. When you, I'm sure when audiences saw it, people weren't thinking there's the Oscar. They might have been thinking Judy Dench might pull out a Globe because this is that type of comedy. It's a Globe movie, exactly. And that's again, no shade to the movie, it's just that brand of yes. uh film. So um, I think it's really fun, or really great that Judy Denger's was able to pull out a fifth nomination for this film. Go Jude! Next we have Felicity Huffman, uh, nominated for Transamerica. This is her first and only nomination, and going into this, you could say she was a bit of a frontrunner, probably Reese Witherspoon's most likely competition for the win here, as she takes the Golden Globe for Drama and the Indie Spirit Award and the National Board of Review. And she's recognized with SAG and some other critics' uh, prizes. In Trans America, Felicity Huffman plays Bree, a trans woman on a cross-country road trip with a troubled teenage boy who does not know that she is his parent. So how do you feel about Felicity Huffman in Trans America? Yes, 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 yes.
1: This film was released in the same year as Brokeback Mountain, however, was glossed upon for the trans experience in this country because Brokeback caused such, like, this quote-unquote controversy at the time. And it's a shame because the T in LGBT isn't silent. So let's start there. It's there. Our trans brothers and sisters are a part of our community and here was a movie that put the trans experience on the celluloid and not in a way that was just a joke character or a background character here is this character in full flesh so let let me start with that with trans america now huffman is really damn good here i really appreciate this performance and i love it a lot um You know, when you meet Brie, she is pre-op. And she, so if you don't know what pre-op means, it's pre-operation to having, um, your gender reassignment surgery. And, um, so Brie is pre-op getting ready to get signed off for her, um, her surgery, but finds out she has a son that she denies. And it's really kind of her journey about Brie as this woman, but she still has to tap into who she was before Brie, if that makes sense. I mean, she was always Brie, but am I making sense when I, when I word this correctly? Like she had to, she had to go back to who she was before she was Brie, essentially. And that's the, the the hard truth of this. And it's, it's her journey about, realizing what had happened in her past to where she is now and huffman takes me on the ride and i'm there for it i think she did a beautiful job of this and i and i and i really like this performance i think this is really good and despite huffman's current social status and if she'll ever actually work again i know she's currently doing prison time but uh or she did prison time or she's out or something We'll, we'll see what happens but um this was a deserved nomination, for sure.
0: Yeah, I have uh, mixed feelings on it overall. Um, looking at it in the context of when it was produced, I get the casting of her. Uh, it makes sense. It's also a little bit novel, in a way, because I feel like most people's instinct would be to cast a cisgender man and basically put him in a form of drag. So the idea of casting a cisgender woman to play a transgender woman was a little bit unique to the film world. Of course, it wouldn't be the first time it had been done. I mean, just to name one example, Olympia Dukakis had already done this in the past. So this wasn't the first instance of that happening, but it was at least mindful on the parts of the filmmakers to cast a woman to play a woman. Um, of course, in today's environment, we'd be even more mindful and try to cast someone with a little bit more of a connection to the trans experience so it's it's a very complicated um conversation uh felicity huffman i think is doing some very interesting work here with her voice uh with her body and her mannerisms this is of course also coming from the perspective of a cis gay man i have no personal connection to the trans experience i know people that admire this film and this performance who are in the trans community. I know people that are on the opposite side. So even within the community itself, this is a very divisive film, not too unlike Brokeback Mountain in the gay and bisexual realm. So um, Felicity Huffman's doing some very interesting things here um, as a performer. Uh, not everyone responds to it in quite the same way, but I at least admire from a craft perspective, the things that she is delving into, the techniques that she is utilizing here. So I respect it in many ways. And on the other hand, I do have some criticisms on it. So, um, yeah, I'm a very mixed bag on Felicity Huffman in Trans America.
1: Well, it's funny that you mentioned a lot of that because we have a question from stupid love. Do you think that if Felicity Huffman won for Transamerica, that the win would be looked down upon now since it's a cis woman playing a transgendered woman? Do you guys think the Academy was sort of ahead of their time and didn't want there to be controversy, so they gave it to
0: Reese? Um, I think it's possible that some people would look back upon a Felicity Huffman win with some ill will. Um, considering this, this is a divisive movie in the queer community. So um, there probably would be some people that would look back on it with a little bit of disdain. But then there would also be folks who recognize that even though it doesn't hold up to a lot of today's standards, it would still be a step forward for the Academy to recognize a performance like this. So I think across the board, Trans America and Felicity Huffman is a very mixed bag almost every argument you can make for it. someone else would make the exact same argument in the other direction. Was Reese doing a safe win? Perhaps. I mean, it's a standard biopic performance. And like I said, it probably was a favorite uh, film amongst a certain crowd in the Academy who probably were not going anywhere near this film, to be perfectly honest. So, um, perhaps if he looked down upon today, but, um, there's a lot of folks who I believe would look uh, up to it. It's very mixed.
1: Yeah, you know, we briefly talked about, well, we didn't briefly, but we we went into a really good discussion because we had Cody Derrick on that episode in 1999 uh, when we talked about Boys Don't Cry. So if you, I won't get into it too much, but if you want to hear that discussion I highly recommend going back to listen to 1999 when it came to that. But I being a part of the LGBT community kind of I kind of look at it in a different way than I guess most would, but I also look into it as a performer who makes a paycheck and, and a part of my living from acting and being on stage. I am okay with anyone playing any role. I don't think that you need a trans actor to play a trans role. I don't think you need a straight actor to play a straight role. I don't think you need a gay person to play a gay role. Whoever is best for the role deserves the role. And here's why in this while I'll get into it briefly with this question. If you only limit trans actors to trans roles, you are literally telling them that they're not passable to be, to be a cis role of a female or male. You're literally condemning them to only trans roles. And that is doing more harm in the long run than it is casting someone who's trans to just play trans. It is not okay. And it is, Not a good step forward if we only limit actors based on their sexuality to sexuality of characters. It just doesn't work for me. So I don't think that Felicity Huffman would per se be looked down upon for being a cis woman playing a trans role. I think she'd be looked down upon for her social status today about winning an Oscar. Um, So I definitely think Reese was a safe bet, but I am 100% behind any actor playing any role if it is the right person. Um, I can't speak to the trans experience, but I can speak to the LGBT experience and being a part of that community. I'm 100% behind anyone doing it. But if you want more details,
0: listen to 1999, because we, we had a 10 minute conversation about it. The person who is most qualified for the role is usually going to be the person with the most connection to it. And often mm-hmm. that's going to be a queer or trans person. Um, here's, here's,
1: here's a question I, I want you to think about. I don't, you don't really don't have to answer it. But it is a question that I bring up when that point is brought up for this conversation. And I really, really don't want to spend – because, again, we, we had a big conversation about this. But to say I think the person who has the most connection is the person who has experienced it, that question could – all, or that statement could also be used like let's say you're playing a Nazi. You know what I mean? Like I don't think you have to have a connection to being a Nazi or be a Nazi to play a Nazi. I think it comes down to the person who can do it the best.
0: I'm not biting with your comparison because being oh. not being an Nazi is a choice. Right.
1: But what I mean by that is saying like, you know, you have to experience it to know what it's like. That's what I mean. Like, I think that can go for any conversation. And that's why I think it gets to be a slippery slope conversation. Like you and I can have these conversations and not agree but we still understand what we're saying because we're a part of the community, but only to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a very interesting topic that needs talked about more, but, you know, it, Felicity Huffman is done and it, you know what I mean? Like, it's 14 years ago.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's the problem with, uh, straight people are able to play anything. Yeah. They, they fucking can. And that's, and that's an issue.
1: That has been dealt with and dealing with for a long time now, you know they've always had the opportunity to
0: It's also funny that when non queer folks play queer people, it's considered acting, and when queer people do it, they're just playing themselves, yeah, when they're actually bringing some very personal shit to a role, yeah, reason queer artists are just brushed aside whole and whole in a perfect the world, the whole thing is weird. Yeah, so like in a perfect world, everyone would be able to play anything and whatever, but we don't live in that world. And so I think it would be wise to give roles to people that, um, have, uh, something to say about it. I don't know how much Felicity Huffman really has to say about right. this, this role in a way that a trans actress would. I could see that. Yeah, I get it. It's, uh, I think the movie would have benefited from someone else playing the role, but, I could, contextually speaking, in the world of 2005, I can understand why that might not have been an option from a business perspective. And that's really shitty because it just perpetuates this cycle of queer, specifically trans artists not getting their spotlight. And until that happens, we won't be in that world where everyone can play everything. Well, th- we
1: kind of <laughs> went into another conversation there, but. Seriously, if you guys want more, we got into a really good conversation in 1999 with it. Go back and listen. And we have a third perspective on it. So it, it, it's a good conversation to have. But, you know, we had it twice now in two seasons, and there you go. I'm sure we'll have it more in the long run. Uh,
0: next, we have Kira Knightley, nominated for Pride and Prejudice. This is her first of two nominations. She does not really win anything major going into this, but she is recognized with the Golden Globe and the National Society of Film Critics, and the Empire Award, and a whole bunch of other smaller critics' prizes. In Pride and Prejudice, Keira Knightley plays Elizabeth Bennett, a young woman in 19th century England, navigating romantic prospects and her own judgments. So thoughts on Kira Knightley in Pride and Prejudice? Oh, y'all wanted a twist?
1: I fucking love this. I... Do not, and I've said this, like, I, I'm i very specific about some period pieces. I really don't like, I like, I hate Shakespeare. I don't like, you know, things like Jane Austen. But I really like Pride and Prejudice. I like it as a movie. I like this version. I like it as a movie. I love Keira Knightley in this. I think she's really good. The fact that she's only 19 and for the longest time was the second youngest Best Actress nominee behind Keisha Castle-Hughes at this point, like, she's really damn good. I believe everything my heart breaks for her. Oh my God. I love this so much. I don't think that Kieran, like Kieran Knightley's Oscar nominations seem to be like ones that people aren't fond of for some reason. Like two in a row that she had was like, eh. But this one I really like. Like, really like. Um, she's fun. She's heartbreaking. Her scene where she talks to Mr. Darcy in the rain is just, on point. I love everything about this. So good.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm having a flashback to uh, Wings of the Dove. Uh, because I put off this movie for a while because I expected to not like it. It didn't seem like something that I would really care for. But I was very surprised by how much I really enjoyed this movie as a whole. I really just enjoyed the film, Pride and Prejudice. And Keira Knightley's performance, I think, is really wonderful. Um, she seems to be having a really fun time playing this role. And not quite in the same way that, um, Judy Dench is in Mrs. Henderson Presents. Because this isn't quite the, um, the showy comedic spectacle in quite the same way. Uh, but Kira Knightley is navigating this very, um, sophisticated comedy of manners and really finding playful moments, uh, therein. And really, um, doing a lot of self-assessment because part of Elizabeth's problem is herself and her own prejudices about men and her expectations about romance and how things should play out while also trying to make the mo- the wisest decision financially and for her family. Um, because we're, you know, living in a time where a lot of women's income was dependent upon who they married. Um, so there's a whole lot going on here. And I think Kira Knightley is putting a lot of things on display that really make her special as a performer. It's a very, um, facial performance. There's a lot going on in the eyes. There's a lot going on behind her eyes. It's a, it's a very calculated performance. And it's very fun to watch and pick apart as the movie plays out.
1: Yeah. Agreed. This is, I enjoyed this way more than I thought. I would have. And I'd seen it before, but revisiting it, I was like, uh, oh, do I really want to watch Pride and Prejudice again? Yep, I'll watch it again.
0: Yeah, I dig it. I liked it way more than I thought I would. Just it's just like Wings of the Dove in the 90s. Yep. And we have a question from Andrew Carden. Did Brenda Bleffin deserve a nom for Pride and Prejudice?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm always gonna say yes to Brenda Blaffin. <laughs> right? When she runs off and is chasing after her daughter, oh
0: it gold. Can I also say, I think Donald Sutherland is fucking perfect in this movie. Yes. Like, yes, that is, that is a casting decision I don't know if I ever would have made. But, oh my God, is it perfect. Agreed. Now, I've never read this Jane Austen novel. Uh, it's probably her most famous one. I haven't read it. But, um, not having any, like, literary context, casting wise, I think Donald Sutherland fits the mold of this role so damn well. And I mean, I'm not from uh, the UK, so I can't speak to his accent, but I buy it. Yeah. Now I do know he was working and studying in England in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, I cannot remember who it was. Was it Christopher Plummer? Oh, I'm going to find out after. I'm going to Google after we stop recording. There's a famous actor. Who loaned Donald Sutherland money to fly from London to LA to audition for MASH. And he got it. And had he not been loaned this money, of course, he never would have been in MASH and his career would have gone in a completely different direction or maybe not even have happened at all. So he has some sort of lived experience, uh, in England with this accent. So I think that that makes sense why it would sound so natural. It doesn't sound like an American. Putting on a British accent, he feels very comfortable with it.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's great. Yeah. Poor Donald Sutherland. That man is never going to get an Oscar nomination for a comp- like uh, competitive Oscar.
0: Yeah, it's really unfortunate. At least he's got an honorary. Yeah, that's that's uh, some bullshit. Because I think he's one of the most like underrated actors of his generation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Agreed. Yeah. So. Next, we have Charlize Theron, uh, nominated for North Country. This is her second of three nominations. Uh, She does not win anything major going into this, but she's recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and SAG. In North Country, Charlize Theron plays Josie Ames, a coal miner experiencing sexual harassment and sexual abuse in the workplace, which then engenders the first major successful lawsuit on the matter. So how do you feel about Charlize Theron in North Country?
1: I know she gets shit for this, but I really like this too. Like, I don't know why she gets shit for this, throughout. I think it's because people just don't like this movie. But I buy everything. You know, Charlize is a South African American woman. Um, raised and born and raised in South Africa. Um, doesn't share. See, I don't know if I can even say that um because i don't know if south africans have an area that's considered like the midwest but i'm just going to say it and if i'm wrong please at me so i know um doesn't share i guess the midwest experience and all of that like um mining town thing that's what i mean by that but you would think that charlie's grew up in northern minnesota because from her accent work to uh, the way she gives off her so- her social status to um The aspect of her living status. I mean, she, I buy it. I buy it, and I get the pain, and I get. I think her, her. I think her role is, especially today, is super important because here is a woman who is con, who is considered a whore and a slut, and shamed publicly, for men's tales, and she's like, this didn't happen, and no one believed her, not even her own family. Her own father despised her. Shout out to Richard Jenkins, by the way, deserved a Best Supporting Actor Nom for this movie. Um, she's great. She's great. She's great. She's great. I have zero complaints about this. What about you?
0: Yeah, Charlize Theron is such a damn chameleon, and I know we usually associate that term with the like transformative roles, like her other two nominations. But even in something as um mundane or nondescript as this type of um character. I'm not trying to downplay the very serious subject matter, but this is not necessarily a transformative role in the way we usually think of it. And yet she fits so well into this world where you totally believe that this is her life, that this is um, where she comes from. The accent feels very natural coming from her. It doesn't feel put on um, in, a, in a way that accents feel uh, coming from some other actors. Um, it is a very serious subject matter. It's still, unfortunately, very important for today. Um, I mean, the most recent example right now is probably all the shit going on with Michael Bloomberg. Um, yeah. that has recently been brought to life when Elizabeth Warren literally murdered him on the debate stage. Um, but yeah, this is a very serious subject matter. And I think Charlie's Theron does a really wonderful job. I mean, I have my gripes with the film itself and the way, uh, it's a little bit too in your face at times, but then again, maybe that works. Maybe we're supposed to feel how the characters are supposed to feel the way they're, they're being attacked and uh, mocked literally daily. So maybe that was a conscious decision on the director's part, uh, but it didn't really work for me uh, on that same level as a viewer, but Charlize Theron, I think, does a pretty decent job. I don't really have any major complaints with it. Um, It's perfectly good.
1: Yeah. And with that said, we had a question that uh, involved both ladies from North Country from Catherine Short. The nominations for North Country seem like an obligation considering the mixed reviews it received. Why do you think that Charlize Theron and Frances McDormand still earned nominations despite the relative failure of the film as a whole? Um, simply, I think they earned it.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're giving pretty, um, good performances. Uh, Charlize Theron is a recent winner for Monster at the time. So, of course, she's going to be on people's minds. Frances McDormand is a winner and she was nominated not too long before that for Almost Famous. And, um, the director whose name escapes me had just done Whale Rider. So, this is a movie with a lot of folks who came together, um, and made something really important for the time. So I can see why they would sneak in there with some nominations. Maybe the film didn't do as well as people would have liked, but um, I think it makes sense why they would come away with recognition. There it is. All right, all right. Well, um, as a
1: recap, your Best Supporting Actress nominees in 2005 were Michelle Williams, Frances McDormand, Rachel Weisz, Catherine Keener, and Amy Adams. Number five, no surprise, Rachel Vice. Um, I think the academy got this really, really wrong here. I don't get it. And this is definitely a campaign win.
0: My number five goes to Francis McDormand for North Country. Um, I don't really have anything against it, but it, it feels just Francis McDormand. Uh, pretty cut and dry. Like I said earlier, um, she's not really showing me anything that I didn't already know she could do. Didn't wow me in any way as an individual performer. So, Frances McDormand gets my number five for North Country. Well, number four for me goes to Catherine Keener. While she's not the worst in this
1: lineup, she's not the best, um, but this is an earned nomination. Again, the nomination is um, the win for her. So, I'm going to give her four, but I don't think I could put her any higher,
0: realistically. I'm giving number four to Rachel Weisz for The Constant Gardener. I think she's quite fiery in this performance, and um, I like it more than I did before, but um, it's not something that I see as the best performance of the year, by any means. So she's only my number four for The Constant Gardener.
1: Heard. Well, number three is actually Michelle Williams. Um, I love Michelle in this. I think this is a great, great first nomination. I think she really could have won this year, and I would have been 100% okay with it. Um, but McDormand and Adams do more for me in the long run, so unfortunately it's that that number three trope for us. She just happens to fall in a place where the other two do more.
0: Catherine Keener is my number three for Capote. Um, I'm coming away with this most recent rewatch uh, with her higher up in my rankings than she would have been before. I consider this a deserved nomination. I understand it gets shit on quite a bit. I know I'm guilty of that myself. And um I think that's silly because uh, upon watching this again and really zeroing in on her, she's doing some really interesting work, especially when you consider how her performance is matching the director's approach to this character and how she fits into this story. So Catherine Keener is my number three for Capote.
1: Well, uh my number two is going to be Frances McDormand, which means I'm giving Amy Adams the win. McDormick is really good here. Honestly, I debated if I should give her the win here, but in the long run, I just, I can't. I've already given her a win uh, a couple years ago. Plus two, Adams is just sublime. Adams, Adams, Adams gives the best performance of her Oscar nominations here, in my opinion, and she really should have won this one. Um, this was a no-brainer for me. I guess in the long run, even though I debated, um, yeah, I would have kicked myself in the ass had I given, had I given McDormick this one. Um, Adams, You're a winner, baby.
0: Amy Adams is my runner-up for Juno. I'm giving the win to Michelle Williams for Brokeback Mountain. Amy Adams is tremendous in Juno. This is a really great first uh, nomination for her. She is so warm and vivid in this performance. Uh, It's so easy to see how she would go on to a really wonderful career following this. But Michelle Williams in Brokeback Mountain just... Guts me whenever I watch this movie. I feel for this character so deeply. Um, and I love that she is only a very small fraction of this. She is that like true supporting part that doesn't ever try to upstage and there's never any question about her placement in this film. Um, yeah, I think she's wonderful in Perfect Mountain. I think it should have been a, it should have been a win for her. So I'm giving it to Michelle Williams. Yes. Well, your lead actress nominees were Reese Witherspoon in Walk the Line, Judy Dench in Mrs. Henderson Presents, Felicity Huffman in Transamerica, Kira Knightley in Pride and Prejudice, and Charlize Theron in North Country. And I'm going to give uh, the number five spot to the other North Country ladies, Char- uh, Charlize Theron. She's not She's not doing anything bad by any means in this. She blends in really well with this film. She serves the film as well as she needs to. But um, I guess there's something I'm, I'm just drawn to the other ones a little more. So, Charlie Theron gets my number five for North Country. Well, like last week,
1: I'm totally disagreeing with the Academy. I'm giving Reese Witherspoon number five. Um, so, like last week, I gave both winners. The last play spot, and I'm doing it here this week again. It's fine but it's nowhere near the level of every other person in this category. So Reese has got to go five.
0: Uh, Reese is my number four for Walk the Line. She's delightful and charming in this role, but um, it's by no means my favorite performance of the year. So she gets uh, number four for Walk the Line. We're just switching up here because Charlize Theron is my number four.
1: She's really good here. I like her. And yes, I'm saying I think Preston McDormand is better than Charlize Theron in North Country. But... She's four. I mean, let's be honest, the final three for both of us are way better.
0: Judy Dench is number three for me for Mrs. Henderson Presents. She's delightful in this. Uh, she's having a ball. This is a really, really fun movie. Um, I love when the Academy's is to recognize something that's not quite so daunting as a performance. Uh, but it has its very serious moments. And Judy Dench um, rings true in all of the moments. So Judy Dench is number three for Mrs. Henderson Presents. Uh my number
1: three is also Judy Dench. Hilarious on point. Comedy gold, but not comedy gold gold, to where it could be an Oscar gold. Um she's good. So good for Judy and I like it, and keep doing your thing, Miss Jude.
0: My runner up spot goes to Felicity Huffman for Transamerica. Um, I think she is doing some very interesting work here, but Kira Knightley, I think, is doing a fantastic job in Pride and Prejudice. I was so impressed with this film and her performance. It caught me completely off guard. Um, I think she is really fun to watch. And if you really watch what she is doing individually as a performer, she is just putting the, jumping through hoops and bringing the audience along with her. It's a delightful, intricate little performance. So, Kira Knightley gets my win for Pride and Prejudice.
1: Wow, I was not expecting that from you. Um, I gotta go Keira Knightley as my runner up. Felicity Huffman is the winner. Um, as much as I love Knightley, I think this is really good. Um, I totally dig this nomination from her. And I genuinely really love the film. Um, Felicity Huffman is the clear winner for me here. I think she brings Brie to life. Um, I think, this this role wouldn't really work with her i feel i mean she literally becomes great um and for that i gotta give it to her i think this was definitely we don't agree with the academy this year so i mean we're giving it to different people but you know i think the academy messed up with reese witherspoon here in the long run and i would give it to felicity so felicity and amy you are my
0: winners yeah i have kira and michelle
1: um i was shocked by your supporting i mean i really shouldn't say shocked but i definitely thought you were giving it to amy i definitely thought you were giving it to felicity so i like that you took me for a little ride
0: yeah i knew uh june bug was your favorite amy adams performance so i had a feeling she was going to be your number one uh and i'm pretty sure felicity huffman in America is one of those roles that you had mentioned to me a long time ago as being one of your um winners so I had a feeling it was going to be her, or maybe Judy Dench, given the uh, comedic nature of the performance. But uh, those were the two I was uh, deciding between.
1: Yeah, this is a good year. Good conversation today. Yeah. So, anything else? I don't think so. Wow, this has been an 80-minute episode. We haven't done one of these in a minute.
0: Yeah, it was very breezy.
1: <laughs> All right, without further ado, again, I'm Joe Gentile
0: And I'm Brandon Stanley.
1: And this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this has been the class of two thousand five. And on account of a, one, two, three, we'll give a good great goodbye to you all. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Goodbye.